0: Welcome to the 180 Ministry Podcast. Please check us out at the1-80.org. A very familiar sequence of events. If you're familiar with the Exodus story at all, you've you've probably heard this before, you've probably read this before, so we're familiar with these events. But what we don't often do is we don't often take these events and then put them together in our reading of them. So this morning, what we're looking at is we're looking at the crossing of the Red Sea, we're looking at God sending manna in the wilderness to feed his people. And then we are looking at the story of water that was miraculously provided from a rock. But I have come over the past few few years to, to know myself a little bit better as, as I get older. As Russell said, I, I may be a young pastor, but like everybody else, I am getting older too, right? Yeah. And I have discovered about myself that there are times when I come across a problem. I come across uh, an issue I come across something in my life that needs to be fixed or solved, whether it's a situation in life or whether it's what Garrett was talking about this morning, something physical like something that needs to be repaired or that sort of thing. And usually what I've discovered about myself is that I am the kind of person who when I encounter a situation like this, what I do is I usually dive right in without thinking about it To fix whatever it is that needs to be fixed. I am one of those people that does not usually stop to read the owner's manual. That doesn't read the terms and conditions. That doesn't look at best practices and that sort of thing. What I do is I see something that needs to be done and I start doing it. And I know that there is nobody else here who does that. And they don't clash with sometimes with the other people in their lives who are very methodical and patient in these types of situations. People who read the owner's manuals, people who read the warnings, people who read the terms of conditions. And I find that this manifests itself most of the time when you are putting together furniture from Ikea. Uh, (laughs) But that person is not me. By any stretch of the word, I am the jump right in, just start doing it, and maybe we'll figure it out along the way. And let's be quite honest, there are times that this has worked out very well for me. I figured it out, I knew how to do it, or if I didn't know how to do it, I figured it out along the way. But let's also continue to be honest and say that there are times that this has worked disastrously for me. But I continue to do it. Anyway. And the thing is, I think that this is pretty common to all of us in one way or another. Even among the more cautious among us, to those who are more like me and will just jump in without thinking. I think this is a pretty common thing, especially in our part of the world where there is such an emphasis on things that, that we believe. like Things like earning what you achieve, reaping what you sow, getting something out of it that you put into it right that there's a certain sense in which i am going to figure this out on my own there is a certain self-reliance that is built into the fabric of the part of the world that that, that you and i live in and, and to go even further than that, I would say to go even beyond any cultural or societal influences that are built into who we are, I think that what something like this also reveals, in a, in a light-hearted way, but it reveals it nonetheless, I think that within humanity, what there is, is that there is a certain instinct for self-preservation. And that there are times when we come up against limits. Like problems we can't figure out. Situations that we don't know how to resolve. Things that we don't know how to repair, how to affix. Where a situation is beyond whatever we can do to remedy it. No matter how hard we tried or no matter how confident we were when we jumped into it. And I think that in moments like that, there is a very distinct sense in which our self-preservation is attacked. Because what is beyond us is sometimes where we start to lose the sense of who we are and what we are because we have met the limits of what we are able to do. And that when we get to this point where we are no longer able to do something, when we've reached our limit, when I think we can safely say we don't have control over a situation anymore there is a very distinct sense in which our self-preservation is attacked. And in those moments, we get to a certain place where we feel helpless. And without knowing it, we encounter this very situation, this very same mindset in the book of Exodus In these very familiar stories to us, the crossing of the Red Sea, God providing manna in the wilderness, water that is provided out of a rock. We encounter these same situations, these same attitudes that are so familiar to us, but we don't often read these stories in context, the context in which they are given to us. And if you follow along in the book of Exodus, the book of Exodus has a very particular flow as you go along. it you begin with the Israelites who have been in slavery, suffering, suffering in the real realities of slavery. Then the story moves on to how God hears their cries. And so God begins this process of freeing them. By calling Moses and telling Moses, go back to Egypt and, and, and work with Pharaoh. I will work for you to plead with these people. Pharaoh, who kind of fancies himself more than just a king. He sees himself as a God king. He refuses and so God enters into a showdown with Pharaoh in the form of these ten plagues where God completely dismantles Pharaoh's system to not only leave Pharaoh doubting the divinity of himself that he's assumed, but now he's actually on a social rung of the ladder that is lower than his former slaves. And then you have the Israelites along with a large number of Egyptians, a mixed multitude, the book of, Egypt, or the book of Exodus says, leave Egypt following God who appears before them in a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. And as we jump into this part of the text that we're working with today, something that we have to keep in mind, that we often very conveniently forget when we read these stories, but something that has to be kept in mind, is that these people that we are reading about this morning, they have literally just been freed from slavery. Slavery where Pharaoh tried to wipe them out by killing all of their children. Pharaoh, slavery where, where the resources that Pharaoh and Egypt had were withdrawn from them. They had the resources, but they withdrew it from them to make their work harder. These are people that we're talking about who have constantly lived their entire lives under the constant threat of death and who have known that there are resources that exist that can make their lives better, but those resources have not been shared with them. Any reading of this story that does not remember that particular detail, you're talking about people who just days ago have been told, you're free. This is a new life. This is a new beginning. If you don't read the story with that particular detail, then you don't read the story for all that it's worth. But this is a sequence of events, starting with the crossing of the Red Sea, that happens in a very particular order. And it's a story that begins with a command from God himself. Uh, This is from Exodus chapter 14, starting in verse 1. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel... To turn back and encamp in front of Pi harahoth Between Migdal and the sea in front of Baal-Siphon. And you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. I think my thing died. That's all right. Oh, there we go. And I will hearten Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, and they did so. Now notice here, it's a very particular detail that begins this story. It is not just happenstance that the Israelites are encamped by the Red Sea, and Pharaoh gets this great idea that says, hey, they're trapped. I should go after them. It's not how the story begins. They are in this place, trapped by the Red Sea, because God has given them the specific instruction that this is where they're supposed to be. They're trapped, essentially, because God has arranged for them to be trapped. And it's in response to that particular situation that we get the first in a line of complaints that happen in these three stories that we often misinterpret. The first in a line of complaints that we will see two more times after this. Exodus 14 verse 10. It says, When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, And they said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. often we read passages like this and the ones that will follow after and our first instinct is to look at these former slaves and say, well, they're lacking a little bit in the faith department, right? And you start to jump on them and say, hey, you've just seen all sorts of plagues happen to the Egyptians, but not to you. You have been following a pillar of cloud and fire that is literally telling you where it wants you to go, something that doesn't happen every day. And now you're doubting this God who you have just seen work in all these miraculous ways. Don't you think that you should have a little bit more faith than the faith that you're currently showing? And that is an opinion that is offered by people who were not former slaves, whose lives have not been precariously hanging in the balance for the entirety of our existence. This is an attitude of people who know the end of the story, who know what's coming next. What these former slaves are experiencing is having left one master, Pharaoh, who constantly held the threat of death over their heads to go serve a new master, God, who seemingly has led them into a death trap. Which is why they bring up this specific complaint against Moses. Was it not good enough to kill us in Egypt? Now notice the desperation from which that, that phrase is said. Was it not good enough to kill us in Egypt? That is a phrase that is only said when you know that death is sure. Right? We will die as slaves. That would have happened. We will die in this situation. That is what we think is going to happen. The difference between dying here and dying in Egypt was that in Egypt, at least we had a little bit of control over when it was going to happen. If we served well, then we had a little bit of control over our lives in Egypt. Even as slaves. At least. We could control. What we could control. There. And I think that that response. Reveals. What the Israelites are thinking all about. This response on the part of the Israelites, it shows us what this entire story and the stories that follow it, that we'll see will be about. Pharaoh wanted to kill us constantly. It was always there. It seems like this God wants to kill us by leading us into a death trap, but if we had stayed in Egypt, at least we could have had a little bit of control over the situation. But we know the story, right? The story goes on. It does not end this way. God tells Moses to lift his staff over the sea and the waters part so the Israelites can cross through it safely and then the waters come crashing down on Pharaoh and his army. And there's a beautiful song that the people of Israel sing in Exodus chapter 15 praising God for this deliverance that only he could do. It's the realization that they have that this God is a master who is maybe just a little bit different than their previous master where their lives might matter to him. Where maybe they're just a little bit more than pawns. But when you've lived life that entire way, your whole life, it is very difficult to turn off that way of thinking immediately. Because after they sing this song of deliverance, immediately in the text, after they sing this beautiful song of what God has done for them, they keep journeying on and they quickly discover that they don't have enough food with them for such a long journey. And they don't have enough water. This is Exodus chapter 16 verses 2 and 3. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. For the second time, you hear them say what? If only we had died in Egypt. We've been saved from one situation, the Red Sea, right, where we were trapped. But that doesn't matter a whole lot if we starve to death. And I've always been slightly intrigued by the choice of words that they use here. It says, we sat by the meat pots. Talking about the food that they ate. Notice what it does not say. We were given food. We had food allotted for us. Whereas a slave, your entire life is controlled, right? The production of what they were supposed to do was controlled. The materials that they had to work with was controlled. Even their population as a people, sons, daughters, was controlled. But notice it does not say we were given food or a certain amount of food was allotted to us. It says we sat by the meat pots. Almost a way of saying we had to find a way to get enough food for ourselves. But we did find a way. We were fending for ourselves, but at least we were fed. Whether or not we were going to starve to death was in our hands. What they're doing is looking back and realizing we had control over the situation. And it was a horrific situation, but at least we had control over it. They don't realize yet the newness of this life to which God has called them, this purpose to which God has called them. I like the way that one biblical writer talks about it. He says their perceptions do not correspond to this new reality. They have not yet become who they are. They wish they had stayed in Egypt. It's finally a choice of places to die. Either satiety with oppression, in other words, we have what we want but we're oppressed, An idealized and selective memory is preferred to starvation with freedom. In other words, what they're saying is, yes, it was horrible, but we had control over the situation. then God responds, Exodus 16 verse 12, I've heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. But then God puts a, a certain restriction on this act of graciousness that he gives them. You continue on in Exodus 16. This is what the Lord has commanded, talking about the manna that falls from heaven onto the ground. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall take an omer according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less, but when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, "Let no one leave any of it over or any of it over till the morning." But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning. And it bred worms and stank. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather... But they found none. And again, we look at these people who gathered more than they were supposed to. More than was allotted to them. And the next day it spoils. We look at these people who went out on the seventh day... ...looking for the manna that they thought would be there... ...but that God clearly said wouldn't be there. And people who are well fed... ...who know where our next meal is coming from... ...we read this passage accusingly and say why would they not listen to God who clearly gives them the instructions this is the amount you're supposed to gather you can't gather on this day so gather more on the sixth day after all God told them gather what you need for one day gather more than and they gather more than what it needs they need and it spoils God tells them there won't be anything to gather on the seventh day the Sabbath but they go out to gather gather anyway and our question is why do they keep not listening to God. And this, this part of the, the story is always very funny to me because it's a question that we, that we ask. But we are actually very well acquainted with the Israelites' way of thinking. Very well acquainted. The other day I was having a conversation with my father. And somehow it led to us talking about uh, situations that, that we had seen. Particularly in, in the, the part of the, the world, the part of Maryland that we're from. Where something that is far beyond needing to re- be replaced, whether it's an appliance, whether it's something that goes in your home, whether it's a car, whether it's something like that, something that's far beyond needing to be replaced. And the reasonable thing that anybody would say, that any of us would say is, hey, that thing needs to be replaced. It's kind of at the point where it's costing you more money to keep limping it along than it would if you were to just fix it outright. Yet people keep pouring time, energy, and money into this thing to keep it barely running. Something that happens quite a lot in the, the part of Maryland that I grew up in. And my dad responded. He said, that's because most people who do things like that grew up when I did. Children of people who were children during the Great Depression. We're replacing was not an option. So you limped things along as best as you could. Or if you got something, you found something, you hung on to it because you didn't know when you might need it because you probably would not be able to get it again. And even just think back to our own world a year ago. An interesting year of 2020, right? When cleaning products, Clorox wipes, Lysol, toilet paper were impossible to find. Not because a family of four needs a three-year supply of toilet paper, right? But we did that because we were pressed up against the limits of our control. We came to a place where we didn't know what we would have and what we would not have, right? Right? And so, what did we do? We took as much as we could when we found it. What do former slaves do when you put food in front of them and they have lived their entire lives not knowing if they were going to get a next meal? They will take as much as they can. They are controlling what is within the limits of their control. And then this whole drama, this whole situation happens one more time. This time with water in Exodus chapter 17. And the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages. According to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Something that's important in the desert. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, for the third time, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill our children and our livestock with thirst? Three times. In response to every hardship that they face after leaving Egypt. After leaving slavery. Three times in a row these people ask the same thing. Why did you bring us out of Egypt to die? Where Egypt is this place of selective memory. Right? We were slaves. Burdened with oppression. With hard labor. With all the horrors of slavery. But we had control... To a degree of whether or not we lived or died, whether we were hungry or had eaten, whether we were thirsty or not. These three stories, all which notice, come right after one another in the narrative. They happen in a row. One, two, three. All three of these stories, they're purposefully gathered together into what I think we can call one big story of complaining. But these are not stories that are given to us to highlight how much these people didn't get it. In fact, when you consider their situation, I think you can hardly blame them. Because if recent history is any indicator, you and I would do the exact same thing. Instead, what I think these stories are about is God demonstrating to his people... The Israelites in the wilderness, but also God demonstrating to his people here and now, us, you and me. That the choice might be between him in the desert or Pharaoh in Egypt. But that when it comes down to those two, he is a different and a better master to serve. He's a master who, when their lives hang in the balance, when they're up against the Red Sea and trapped, instead of leaving them there to be trapped, he acts decisively to save them. Even when they've accused him of purposely bringing them there to die. He's a master who graciously gives them food when there is no food. He's a master who provides water for them in the middle of the desert. And it's not just that all of these things defy their expectation. The point of these stories being grouped together. The fact that God kicks this whole thing off by telling them where to go. By essentially trapping them them, them themselves. The point of these stories is not so God can defy their expectations and say, look what I can do. The point of these stories is that all of these things that the people experience are beyond their control. All of these things are situations in which God's people as human beings have absolutely no control over this situation. Humans can't part seas and walk through them. You could try, it's probably not going to go well. Humans cannot miraculously find food in the desert where there is no food. Humans cannot make water appear out of a rock in the middle of a desert. What's really going on in this story, I think, is this. God is trying to demonstrate that when his people have reached their limit, that he is there to do what they cannot do. This is God constantly demonstrating that while we have our limitations, that you and I have a point that we get up to that we have to stop. Because we cannot do anything else. Because we have no control over what happens next. We are powerless to make that next step. And what God is trying to do is to show us that while we have those limitations, when we have come up against those limitations, he is there continuing to provide where we can't provide. He is there continuing to work where we can't work. He is there continuing to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves because he does not have the limitations that we do. And for this group of former slaves, God is demonstrating to them that he is the type of master who is different than Pharaoh. He is willing to do this for them. He is wanting to do this for them. He is wanting to demonstrate to them three times in a row that you might think you are in a situation where this is the end. You're trapped you're hungry, you're going to die of thirst, but each of these times where you have reached the limit and you have no control, I am here to do what you cannot. To prove that I am a master, I am a God, I am someone worth following who is trustworthy. That when you have reached your limit, I have not reached mine. That you might not be in control anymore, but I'm still in control. there are situations in my life where I reach my limitations of what I'm able to do and what I'm able not to do. There are situations in your life where you have reached the limitations of what you're able to do or what you're not able to do. And for me, I'm willing to bet that many of us, when we reach those situations, there is an experience where we feel a very uncomfortable helplessness. And sometimes those are in incredibly minor situations, right? Like if you've ever worked with audiovisual when something stops working, no matter what you do to fix it. There's other times we encounter these situations, these limitations, in ways that are life altering. Where the next step that is beyond our control will change something in an enormous way with our health, with aging family members, with race and racism, with finances, with jobs, situations where there is a lot at stake. Many times what's at stake is life or death, and we realize in that moment we have reached our limitation. We experience that. This morning you might be experiencing that, but yet that does not stop us when we hit those situations from continuing to do what we always do keep trying to control what's in our power. Keep trying to do what's in our control. Keep trying the things that we know we haven't done yet to fix our situation. Every single time you and I reach a situation where we have lost control, we take it upon ourselves to jump right back back in to try to fix the situation, to try to change the situation, to try to do what we can Even if we can't do anything until eventually we get to the place where the Israelites were in this story. When they realize there's nothing they can do. And so they ask God three times, why did you bring us here to die? But the truth is, God was always planning on doing for them what they were not able to do for themselves. God was always planning on continuing to do his thing even when they had reached their limit. After they had gone to the limit of what was in their control, God was always planning to continue to provide for them, to continue to work for them, to continue to keep fighting for them. And there are many of you this morning that are at a limit of some kind. You've come up against a boundary of what you're able to do and what you're able not to do. And I'm willing to bet, because we all have this similar streak inside us, I'm willing to bet that even after you've hit that boundary, even after you've hit that limit, you are still pushing. Trying to push beyond that. Trying to grasp back for just a little bit of control over the situation. What I want to tell you this morning is that the God that the Bible reveals to us is a God who is able to keep going beyond our limitations. He is a God who is able to fix what we can't fix. He's a God who is able to provide what we can't provide. He is a God who is able to respond in ways that you and I can't respond. And the beautiful thing is that the Bible reveals to us not only can he do this, what the Bible reveals to us is that he will do this and not only will he do this he wants to do this for each and every one of us if you are at your limitation this morning and i'm willing to bet there's some of you that are it's painful it's full of tension it's full of questions it's full of confusion But what I want to say is that this morning we are gathered together worshiping a God who has not reached his limitation. Worshiping a God who is not beyond control. We are worshiping a God who has not stopped working on our behalf even when we've lost control. The unwritten answer to all of these questions that Israel asks God when they're at the, the shore of the Red Sea, when they're hungry, when they're thirsty, and each time they ask God, Why did you bring us here to die? The unwritten answer that God gives every time is, I didn't. I brought you here to show you that I can control what you can't control. That when you are at your limit, I am not at my limit. And that when you can't provide for yourself anymore, I can still provide for you. He's a God who wants to do for us what we are not able to do for ourselves. This is a God worth celebrating, worth worshiping, worth following. Please look us up online at the1 80.org and at the 180 YouTube channel. Please reach out to us with any questions or prayer requests. Until next time, thanks for listening.